Your source for community, Muskoka-made talk shows are on Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Hey, this is Dr. Shervin. Muskoka Magazine is brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Please visit DairyLaneDental.com. This is Boyer's Modern History of Muskoka with your host, Patrick Boyer. Welcome, I'm Patrick Boyer. Throughout this year, my broadcasts about Muskoka's modern history will be about current Indigenous issues and Muskoka's First Nation heritage. Last month, we started 2023 off with the Indigenous concept of a dish with one spoon, a sensible idea many centuries old for different nations agreeing to share the same land. This communal plan did not fare well when settler society negotiated land treaties, as I explained in that broadcast, because First Nations and colonists don't relate to land or treat it the same way. However, as I also suggested, the principle of a dish with one spoon better understood and reapplied, can be a helpful tool to unlock stalemated land issues in Canada today. Now, for this program, let's turn to how Indigenous peoples convey information orally. (laughs) Well, this is radio, not a classroom, so I can't write oral on the chalkboard. Uh, I'll just point out that in English, as you know, we have two words connected to communicating with speaking that sound alike but have different meanings, oral and oral. There is O-R-A-L, oral, which means spoken, and A-U-R-A-L, oral, which means hearing. For oral with an O, we open our mouths. For oral with two A's, we use our two ears. So the subject of oral history and oral tradition, using the O word, is about the spoken record. Speaking aloud is how we share thoughts, present ideas, convey information. Direct verbal expression is the simplest and clearest way we have to get info across. From earliest memory, we've been told things by parents, school teachers, strangers, family members, friends, public speakers, elders. As oral history is passed through generations, individuals get accounts of what happened before they were born stories with practical instruction, and fables with moral lessons. Because this tradition of spoken history is intrinsic for Indigenous communities, 
interest in Aboriginal communities around the world is now focusing on oral tradition, archaeology, and ethno-history to triangulate a more complete record of their place in history and the history of their places. In Muskoka, this is very much a current event. The buried treasure of artifacts from long ago is of such importance, in fact, <laughs> that when the town of Bracebridge was all excited to report to the Muskoka Area Indigenous Leadership Table about its high-cost new hockey arena, the only interest expressed by the Chippewas of Rama was in seeing the archaeological studies conducted as a heritage prerequisite at the news site on the west side of town. It's understandable. Archaeological digs elsewhere in Muskoka have unearthed evidence and enabled better understanding of what happened here for thousands of years before non-Indigenous settlers began arriving. For example, on Beausoleil Island in Georgian Bay Township, Parks Canada archaeologists have unearthed so many cultural treasures that UNESCO has declared it a World Heritage Site. In Port Carling, which now occupies the land of a prior substantial permanent Ojibwe village called Obadjiwanung, Muskoka's largest collections of arrowheads has been gathered at Muskoka Lakes Museum. From around Huntsville Lakes, unearthed spear and arrowheads now authenticate the saga of First Nation life at Muskoka Heritage Place. Transmission of oral history for thousands of years has been the primary way of learning about the past, imparting lessons, and conveying values. The art of storytelling and the art of listening. How to light a fire, trap game, cook an animal. What berries keep you alive and which ones kill you? Where to travel to find needed things like flints and quality birch bark. Lessons of the great spirits. The importance of honoring land, water, and living creatures. Oral tradition emerged because of people's imperative to survive and the necessity of communal memory. In fact, I think of oral tradition as really a poetic name for communal memory. Many people wrongly imagine that because First Nations did not have written records like theirs, they had no history. They assigned them to an artificial category labeled prehistory, effectively denying the reality of their existence, the same way the word aboriginal does, the ab, A-B, prefix, meaning before the original, or not original. This was the same ploy as referring to the North American continent as empty and then trying to, in fact, empty it of the people living here for thousands of years. For the brain to remember information, repetition is key. 
you'll remember words to a song or a story or a poem by hearing it over and over again, and by singing or repeating it aloud a number of times. That is how lessons repeated by elders or told by parents to children, often in the form of fable-like stories conveying a lesson, become embedded in memory. Indigenous oral tradition is not only a long-standing practice, but a global phenomenon around the world. Aboriginal people of Australia, for example, have dwelt in that country for 75,000 years. Indigenous people in many other countries together have created world associations, hold international conferences to share experiences for preserving language and culture, and today engage one another globally through websites. The world and its many different peoples were obviously not all created at the same time. Separate communities and civilizations moved forward, applying new lessons their own way on their own timetables. Something invented in one place might later appear elsewhere as different cultures learned about fire, the wheel, uh, vessels to travel in over water. Sometimes civilizations came to such things on their own, as in reinventing the wheel. But sometimes they saw what others were doing and just copied it. In time, some civilizations developed writing and then printing books. For them, the paper documents became important records. Eventually, with travel and trade, these concepts and practices spread. For cultures that developed printing of documents, these physical forms of recording information gradually came to be relied on more than holding information in memory and transferring it by repetitive telling. Using paper documents did not invalidate their prior reliance on the oral tradition, but it became for them an alternative that seemed more convenient. When contact between European and American civilizations first occurred, indigenous people here still relied on oral tradition. A way oral history became crucial in Muskoka's evolution is how it enabled indigenous guides to introduce Euro-Canadian explorers, often reluctantly, to this area. First Nation guides were familiar with the locale's waterways and were assisted by wayfinding techniques passed down over generations. It was on this foundation that explorers and map makers from Samuel Champlain in the early 1600s to David Thompson in the mid 1800s were guided into North America's interior their maps of Muskoka incrementally making settlement possible. For those of you who are interested, I've written a full version of this story in my book, Putting Muskoka on the Map, From Indigenous Wayfinding to Satellite Imaging. It was published last year as in 
and it's available in Muskoka bookstores and online at muskokabooks.ca. Well, this is Muskoka's modern history, right? So we're going to next examine the relevance of Indigenous oral history today, which is far greater than many people might think. But first, a short station break. By Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay, 88.7. I'm Dr. Shervin from Dairy Lane Dental, and you're listening to Muskoka Magazine. This is Boyer's Modern History of Muskoka, with your host, Patrick Boyer. Welcome back. I'm Patrick Boyer. We're looking at how the long-standing Indigenous oral tradition, despite all that has undermined it since contact, and with evolving communication technologies, continues to be highly relevant in Canada. Since contact, modern methods have transformed Indigenous communities just as they impacted other societies. But the change was much greater because Indigenous cultural practices, including the tradition of oral history, had been marginalized by the colonizing power, outlawing Aboriginal traditions. It also became harder with so many First Nation languages across the country dying out. Even here, the death in 2022 of the last living member of Muskoka's Wada community who spoke a once commonplace Mohawk dialect met another First Nation cultural component vanished with him. Yet still, in its own ways and in vibrant First Nation communities, oral history remains. Oral tradition is not time trapped nor is it only about past events. In the way Euro-Canadians refer to history books, prior documents, and earlier maps to clarify present-day situations, oral history of First Nations has contemporary significance also. In 1996, Canada's Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples which the Mulroney government created in the wake of 1991's Oka crisis, issued a law a report entitled Looking Forward, Looking Back, with its findings about First Nation traditions of recording history. Here's an exact quote. It is neither linear nor steeped in the same notions of social progress and evolution is that of Euro-Canadians, nor is it usually human-centered in the way of the Western scientific tradition, for it does not assume that human beings are anything more than one element, and not necessarily the most important element in the natural order of the universe. 
Because this historical tradition is an oral one involving legends, stories, and accounts handed down through generations in spoken or sung forms, the commissioners emphasized that, quote, oral history is less focused on establishing objective truth and assumes that the teller of the story is so much a part of the event being described that it would be arrogant to presume to classify or categorize the event exactly for all time. For this reason, the Aboriginal purpose of repeating oral accounts from the past is broader than the role of written history in Western societies. Again, quoting, it may be to educate the listener, to communicate aspects of culture, to socialize people into a cultural tradition, or to validate a particular family's claims to authority and prestige. Highly significant as well is that such accounts of the past include, again in the words of the Commission, a good deal of subjective experience. They are not simply a detached recounting of factual events, but rather facts enmeshed in the stories of a lifetime. Moreover, they are typically rooted in particular locations, making reference to specific families and communities. Quote, this contributes to a sense that there are many histories, each characterized in part by how a particular people see themselves, how they define their identity in relation to their environment, and how they express their uniqueness as a people. The very next year, in 1997, the Supreme Court of Canada ruled that oral history is, quote, an important type of evidence which courts must treat as equal to other types of evidence. The case of Delga Mukwe versus British Columbia had been working its way through the courts for years by the time it reached the Supreme Court of Canada. The hereditary chiefs of the Gitskan and Wet'suwet'en uh, First Nations claimed for their 58,000, uh, for their people, uh, 58,000 square kilometers in British Columbia. They supported this claim with evidence of long-standing traditional use of these territories. The evidence was oral history. The Gitskan community has what it calls an Ada'ak, its collection of sacred oral tradition about their ancestors, histories, and territories. The Wet'suwet'en have what they call a Gingax, a spiritual song or dance that ties them to their land. Both Ada'ak and Kingax were entered as evidence. The Supreme Court said that, quote, the most significant evidence of spiritual connection between the people and their territories was a feast hall where the Gitson and Wet'suwet'en tell and retell their stories and identify their territories to remind themselves of the sacred connection they have with their lands. The feast has a ceremonial purpose 
but is also used for making important decisions. The oral histories were being used in this major legal case to establish First Nation occupation and use of now disputed territory in British Columbia, which non-Indigenous people had been setting themselves up in and conducting activities. Chief Justice Antonio Lammer, writing the majority opinion of the court, asserted that Aboriginal rights demand a unique approach to the treatment of evidence which accords due weight to the perspective of Aboriginal peoples. As a result, despite the evidentiary balancing still required, the Supreme Court ruling was that the Delga Mukwe uh, case required, and I quote, adapting the laws of evidence so that the Aboriginal perspective on their practices, customs, and traditions and on their relationship with the land are given due weight by the courts. In practical terms, this requires the courts to come to terms with the oral histories of First Nation societies, which for many are the only record of their past. The necessity of doing so emphasized the Supreme Court is that those histories play a crucial role in the litigation of Aboriginal rights. Oral tradition has been a component of land claims issues addressed for a number of decades by the Wata Mohawk community in Muskoka. Oral evidence has also been part of the effort to interpret land treaties involving Anishinaabeg lands of Greater Muskoka. The importance of First Nation oral tradition will soon be showcased at Muskoka Discovery Center in Gravenhurst. This summer, a unique exhibit will officially open called Miskoaki, A Confluence of Cultures. This large new display is curated entirely by Indigenous peoples connected with this land and telling their stories in their own unfiltered way Respected leaders and elders drawing on oral history will give it a new dimension alongside archaeological artifacts and ethnocultural history. In sharing this heritage with a wide non-Indigenous public, Muskoka Discovery Center, in partnership with First Nations, is fulfilling a call to action from Canada's Truth and Reconciliation Commission showing how Muskoka life is, in, is inextricably entwined with First Nation heritage. Thank you for listening. Producer for our Modern History of Muskoka radio series is Matt Fisher, a man of Ojibwe heritage. I'm Patrick Boyer. <laughs>